Broadcasting While Quarantine. This is Camp Street Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Thurl. This is episode 53, Evangelism Stories. Welcome, everybody, to the Campus Church Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism. Unfortunately, we do not have the all-saved freak band bring us in this week with their wonderful song, The Sower, because I am um, away from all my normal materials and recording this in an abnormal fashion. Um, But fortunately, I'm not doing a full episode in this context, but I'm going to be playing part two of my interview, uh, of the interview of me with Eddie Roman. Uh, that I did when we were as at G3. Um, but before we get to that, a couple things to kind of clear clean, clean house, I guess, is uh, in October, we still have the first annual Fight Left Feast Network um, conference, which is going to be outstanding. We had a, a phone conversation last week about uh, who's going to be speaking and some of the stuff that's going to be going on there. And I think it's going to be pretty wonderful. Unfortunately, they were not smart enough to make me the keynote speaker, which I think would add a little spice, but um, they have a pretty, pretty outstanding lineup. So pretty excited about that. That's October the 1st through the 3rd. And if you go over to flfnetwork.com and become a member uh, of the network, by September the 1st, you'll get $100 off. And I don't think we discussed the cost of registration, um, but I'm assuming it's at least $100. If they're going to give you $100 off, it'd be quite the move if it's really 50 bucks to register. So I don't know what the cost of that is just yet, but if you go to flfnetwork.com or to crosspolitik.com, uh, you can learn a little bit more. And also, we finally have our app totally up and running, and more content is being added to it daily Um I think we're just a little bit behind on maybe some of my episodes, stuff like that, but uh, we're getting caught up if not if we're not totally caught up at this point. And one of the reasons we'd like uh, people to go to the app is obviously just from a platforming element. Gabe Branch back in October was banned from Facebook for like four months, so he was unable to post and people weren't able to see his post type of thing. So um, ideally, you know, I don't think it's imminent, but if Facebook, even though they're not a podcast platform, but from Facebook to uh, Apple to Google to Spotify to whoever you get your podcast from, if they decide to uh, you know tighten up what content they're going to allow, ideally we would have individuals pulling us from our own app because obviously we're not going to deplatform ourselves. Um, they might deplatform me. But that's a totally different issue than um, the whole network being deplatformed. Um, so that's some of the house cleaning stuff I want to get into. And so um, here is part two of of my interview of or Eddie Roman's interview of me and then next week uh, this this episode actually is going to be a little bit longer I'm going to play the whole interview I was going to divide it into uh, this week and next week but um, I've been reading a little bit on some of the history a little thing called uh, um, unintended coincidences in the gospels and in Paul and stuff like that it's just really been fun study so I'm going to do a little bit more about that because there's some apologetic benefit to that in interacting with people. And it just kind of brings the history of the Gospels uh, as well as Paul's writing to life. And so I'm going to play this whole interview this week so we can wrap that up. And then next week, we're going to get to some new content that I'm pretty excited about. So thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. I take a lot of people out witnessing for the first time um, from my church and then also from Living Waters, part of some of the things we do. And one of the main things that the Christians who come with me will always say to me is, man, just looking at people's faces, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was ab- absolutely amazing. So, so yeah, they're, they're, they're seeing countenances change. They're, they're seeing the part where 
I'm preaching the gospel and, and at the minute I get to sin, it's like everyone goes, you know, (laughs) and they're, they're just seeing all this stuff. And and it's, it's like the parable of the soils happening right in front of their eyes where people are just gone Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. But, um, one of the questions I constantly get, cause I, I teach evangelism classes in a bunch of different places. One of the main questions is how do I deal with the opposition? Like not, not the questions, but the anger, the mm-hmm. hate, mm-hmm. the the people who obviously don't want you there. We live in a society, and in the minute you step on a campus, you're in the heart of that society where there's a million different things from the Bible that you're not allowed to talk about, that yeah. you're not allowed to say. So one of the questions I get is, man, I want to talk to people about Christ. I even want to open air preach possibly, but man, I am just scared because mm-hmm. someone's not going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so how, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Because from the videos I've seen... You would probably know more about that than anyone else because <laughs> you are constantly getting slammed with, with all this uh, opposition. Yeah, and I can, I, you know, dispositionally, I feel like I can take anything from the unbeliever. Uh, the point I probably wrestle with the most is when the Christian opposes me. But when unbelievers, I mean, seriously, they, they steal my stuff. They throw stuff at me. They throw coffee on me. They whatever it may be, none of that, honestly, it doesn't really bother me. Like, and I, and what I'm preaching, I, sometimes, uh, you know, I fight fire with fire a little bit from the standpoint of, uh, bringing more people out. So if someone comes out in strong opposition to me, I'm going to hopefully parlay that into bringing You're more You're going to use that. Yeah. Because the louder it gets, everybody wants to see a fight. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think P.T. Barnum once said, if you want to get a crowd, start a fight. So so when someone comes in hot, my my hope is, and, and it also depends on the time of the day. So if it's, 1150 and I just started, someone comes in hot. That's a different response than if it's four o'clock and someone comes in hot. Four o'clock, I already have my crowd. I have the people who I think are more genuinely interested. So it's pearls before swine at that point. So my disposition is much more like, honestly, kind of be the victim at that point. Look, I'm just out here trying to have a conversation Mm. if you don't have a conversation. And and so, so you know, there's so many subjective elements going on. When when you're just starting, it's like the show's about (laughs) to begin. Bring it. You know what I mean? Thank you. You know what I mean? Like you're kind of praying for the heckler, not someone who's too out of control, but but you're kind of praying for heckler. So um, dispositionally, I feel like Jesus tells us it's going to happen. And, you know, the way I talk on campus is going to be different than a dinner table, which is going to be different than breakfast. You know what I mean? Like realizing you have a context. Like I, I used to work in finance in New York, I can't be over the cubes. Turn or burn. You know what I mean? Like I'm not gonna hit anybody. I'm not gonna hit anybody up with that over a cube at work. You know what I mean? But over lunch, um, we're gonna have different conversations. So uh, there's a subjective element to it um, that that you kind of learn. Like you ride bikes, you you uh, or used to or still do. These uh, are long, long days of long past. <laughs> um, but you, but but like you kind of just kind of learn to get your feel on it. You know what I mean? And a lot of it's yeah. just feeling. Um, and not to sound like a a millennial, <laughs> but it's <Feelings. laughs> but it's 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 a heavy feeling oriented of like, yeah, like any interpersonal relationship you have with people, there's a subjective element of how do I talk to my wife at this moment? How do I talk to my kids? Sometimes you take your kids, you put your arm around them. Sometimes you get in their face like a coach. You know what I mean? So uh, that's kind of what I'm trying to do out there. So I'm not always making the right decisions. And you, even something like you mentioned earlier, standing on a box, I, even one of the things I like to do is, is if I can be below them, because the operating assumption is I'm there to judge them. And if I'm over them, that compounds the judgment component. Yeah. And if I'm below them, they're sitting in judgment of me, which I would much rather in that context be in. Um, so I like that. So those are the dynamics that I'm trying to size up as I'm out there. You know what I mean? And, and I think Ray, Ray Comfort's the guy who taught me to be on a box. And, and one of the things he always says, man, I'm up here cause I'm short and I, people can't see me. You uh-huh. know? So, but no, I, I definitely see what you're saying as far as putting yourself in a place of humility when you're addressing people, cause they are you in the, in the camp, especially in the campuses that you're going to, they're used to a guy being there to, the day before literally 
cussing at people and using crazy words to try to preach the gospel. It's yeah. insane. Yeah. And so you step in and the students are like, okay, here he comes again. This uh -huh. is another one of these nutty guys. And and so, you know, that's an issue you have to deal with as well. Yeah. And, and even that's one of the things, and if they stick around long enough, like I'll often have guys be like, wow, you're not half as crazy as I thought you're going to be. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> and, uh, and that's even one of the things of like transitioning to like the slower part of the day. And yeah, like, you know, because it's like anything, I, I my, my little phrase over the past year, I've been saying that I, you guys, I, guys, I'm basically like Bob Ross out here. You know what I mean? Right now I'm my hero. <laughs> right now I'm, I'm setting my easel and, and painting the big broad strokes and we'll get some happy trees in here in a little bit, oh, but, but, but right now I'm just kind of painting the landscape. You know what I mean? Just, just broad strokes. And that's what you have to do. So you do start off broad stroke. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll read Psalm 24 and kind of get the conversation going on very broad issues then you begin to put layers on it you know what I mean and and so that's and that's a place where you do you can transition from wait this guy believes what to there's a bit more there's a bit more reasonable you know what I mean um, yeah. and so yeah because I'm realizing more and more with the younger generation that my language is really foreign to them you know what I mean and, and our gospel oh, so true. Uh, like yeah, like I said that guy became a believer but he said I had never heard the gospel before so I'm not I'm not Jeremiah going to Israel uh, I'm going to I'm Paul going in Athens and so I have to keep that in mind and I have to realize it more and more because even when I was uh, even like when I went off to college everybody knew John 316 Kid, right. kids don't know that anymore and uh, when when they don't know that like you got to teach them. <laughs> yeah, you got to teach them. And so even their concept of love. So even if you do teach that love to them, their concept of love is so distorted that a loving God would never judge anybody. So, so you yeah. have to you have to put so many layers on this thing. And I've grown more patient as I've gotten older with those sort of stuff that like, OK, I realize that I'm up against people who know, you know, if, if someone stood up in here and just started talking about engineering, I wouldn't know what he's talking about. You know what I mean? Right. And so when I'm on campus, I'm kind of the engineer. No, going that's, to a, that's a so, good way to look at it. Really quick, just getting back to the question. Though, is did that, I not answer it? <laughs> you did, but you went so fast. Okay. So basically what I heard is that the reason you can deal with opposition and people hating on you is simply because in reading the Bible, that's what you expect to see. That's what you expect to see. And I, and I would like to think I fear the right thing. I fear God. I don't fear man. Um, and that doesn't give me liberty to be jerks to them. But, um, you know, because it is hard. To be honest with you, the, the hardest thing I get is when people... You know, they'll occasionally write newspaper articles or they'll put, post something on you. And Jesus says, blessed are you when people lie, slander, and say all men are false things. And that's really hard to count as a blessing. I don't, some days I'd almost rather have somebody just punch you. You know what I mean? So like when, right. when a newspaper is like, Mr. Darrell was making anti-Semitic comments. And, 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 and you actually have been featured in a lot of college campus newspapers yeah. and things like and, that. And, and they're usually looking for, they're looking for the spice. You know what I mean? It's, it's basically like Mad Libs. And you bring the spice. <laughs> yeah. It's basically Mad Libs. Like they already have their story structured <laughs> and they're just like, what's his take on the gays? You know what I mean? Right, what, what's Maybe we can find something about women's submission. You know, so they're looking for the hot take. So years ago, uh, and this guy just flat made it up. He said a friend of mine even heard Mr. Darrell making anti-Semitic comments. And like I, I worked in New York City with a, quite a few Jews. I could imagine sending my resume back, be like oh, anti-Semite. You know what I mean? And so, right. so, so oh, I, yeah, because this stuff ends up on the internet. Yeah, I'd rather be <laughs> it punched. Your job choices later down the road. Yeah, I, and I'd rather be punched in the nose and get that fixed rather than have somebody. I could, I could punch you in the nose. <laughs> yeah, if you really yeah, want. yeah, not not from you, not from you. <laughs> um, rather than have somebody write something wicked about me online. So when your mom calls you and thinks you're an anti-Semite, you know what I mean? You gotta, yeah. you gotta, you gotta reassess. So, so you, you just uh, brought something up. You, you said, you know, people are going to have these preconceived ideas about Christians are going to bring into it. What do you think about the gays and, mm -hmm. and, and things like that? So when you're on the campuses, um, I would think there are a lot of issues that you're dealing with over and over and over every single day just because this is the stuff that's in the culture right now. It's mm -hmm. on the news. It's, it's pe people are thinking about what are some of the basic kind of everyday bread and butter 
things that you got to deal with. You know, I imagine one of one of them would be, well, like, you know, why does God hate gays or or something like that. So, from your perspective, what are the, what are the questions that come up pretty much all the time, and you know, what what do you say? Mm-hmm. What you know? Yeah. So definitely, homosexuality in general. Um, is one of the big issues that are up, whether it's even just premarital sex, promiscuity. Especially on a campus. That's what that's what they're thinking yeah, of. Yeah. And, you know, and if you remember being 18, 19 years old, you probably thought about sex quite a bit. So it's not like, yeah, yeah, it's not like, not like some crazy thing. And, and we're made, and that's even the thing, like, like, I feel like sometimes we Christians can be prudish about it, but like we were made to go be fruitful and multiply. You know what I mean? That's, that's right. Go have some babies. Sex is good in the right context. <laughs> yeah. And, and so what I'm seeking to do, and, and the thing is that the, in general, it, it's a mixed bag because you know, we, we use the expression bad sex in a couple different ways. And so the Me Too movement, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, and then even, you know, the girl who was lied to about the guy. Oh, I love you. And then, you know, you're out of here. You know what I mean? You right. get rejected. Um, and I think in many ways, not everybody by any stretch of the imagination, but I do. People have a conscience and they kind of know they're not living the ideal when they're promiscuous and they know that it's empty. And so as Christians, what we I think what we need to maintain, especially on that issue, because our perspective is so outside the culture. So, for example, when homosexuality comes up and it's usually like, tell us how much God hates the gays. And they're looking for fodder for something to put on their Facebook. And, and it's great because I can just say, I don't think God hates the gays and just be mm. quiet for a few seconds. And everyone's like. What? You know what I mean? I remember one I time. thought you said you were a Christian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's literally one time one of my favorite comments. Wait, I thought you said you were a Christian. You know what I mean? And this is, <laughs> but like, but it's kind of sad. Like, that's where we are. Like, we somehow, yeah. the, the perspective is that we, because of we say, no, this is wrong, we hate them. And so what I seek to do from that point is, uh, I was, I remember saying, no, I think God loves the gays. And I was like, what? Yeah, I thought you were a Christian. And I, but what I say is God and God loves them, but not in the way you think. You think God loves them because they're okay. You think God loves them because blah, blah, blah. What we teach is that God loves us while we're sinners. And, the and, you know, and homosexuals are sinners. And so God loves them not because they're A-OK the way they are. Uh, God loves them while they're sinful. So the love of God is actually far greater than what you think it is because you think God loves them because they're all right. You know what I mean? We're coming out here saying, no, you're desperately wicked. You porn addicts, you this, you that. You're desperately wicked, but God loves you in that estate. And that's far more radical than the idea that, hey, we're all okay, or I'm not okay, you're not okay, that's okay. No, we all know it's not okay, but God loves you in that estate. And even one of the good things, like politically, the election of Donald Trump, like the people who oppose me the most, they suddenly have language for evil. They suddenly have language for bad guy. You know what I mean? Huh. And and so everything's relativistic. You know? uh-huh. and so, and so why is Donald Trump bad? So, so every, Trump's a bad there guy. is no good and bad. Yeah. And so we're and Jeffrey Epstein, Harvey Weinstein and building out of these things in their culture that they all know. And then from there, you got to put some layers on. Oh, well, it's not consent or it's not this. Um, but my point more simply is, is if you listen to them enough, they know they're having bad sex, not just immoral sex, but like it, it's 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 like. Yeah, I'm it broken. should be something more. Yeah, there's something there's something missing in this. And so when it comes to sexuality, I usually, depending on where we're at, try to give some element of that. So even, for example, a piece of rhetoric, I was like, we all know sex is different. And I was like, so if my parents were lying to me about Santa Claus growing up, people are like, oh, sorry, your parents lied about you. But if I say my parents abused me growing up, the air comes out of the room. Why is that? Because we all know our bodies are different. We all know that sex is different. And mm-hmm. so even in the context of lying, Paul says all their sins are outside the body. So, um, and that's even why I think there's so much emotional heat around it, because it, it, you know, two flesh become one. I, there's just so much going on in the sexual issue that I feel like oftentimes when we just show up and we lob bombs, oh, sexual bombs, and you're wrong. I, I feel like people often don't hear what we're actually saying, even though their conscience bears witness that something's deeply broken here. And so when it comes to the homosexual issue, that's that's usually some layers I'm trying to put to it is find a place of, uh, so even San Diego State, 
probably one of my favorite conversations. The guy sitting there, this was, uh, I think, a, a time after you and I met. And I preached on a Monday, all hell broke loose. You know what I mean? It was, it was bedlam. This is true. I filmed it. <laughs> and then, so Tuesday though, I show up, sitting in my chair. I didn't even start preaching and people just start gathering. Um, 15, 20 people. And I never preached that day, but I had people till four or five o'clock wow. listening for 50 people. And there was a homosexual kid off on the side. And uh, I could tell he was, uh, did not approve of my preaching. Mm-hmm. I say, oh, you disagree with me? He's like, yeah, I think you're bigoted and hateful. And I was like, you do? Why is that? And he's like, I think we should accept everybody. And so when he said that, I just said, do you really think we should accept everybody? And he goes, mm, maybe not everybody. Not, <laughs> not you. <laughs> and, uh, and, but as soon as he made that confession, and that's even like the thing, you're, you're, my main purpose is I want to bring him out onto an equal playing field. Like it, it's not for me to be like, oh, you're a relativist and you're wrong, bam, and shut the thing off. But to bring him out, you think we should accept everybody. Well, not everybody. Okay, so you and I both agree not everything should be accepted, right? He's like, yes, okay. Now, what we're debating now is where we draw that line. And so to act like I'm the bigot and the hateful guy, because I draw it over here and you draw it over here, that's the debate we need to have. But just this platitude that I'm the hateful one who discriminates and you don't, that's, a, that's, a, that's being disingenuous conversation. And he admitted that he ended up kind of conceding. Oh, that's great. And we ended up having a conversation and he ended up hugging me. You know what I mean? Like at the end, he's like, uh, yeah. Or maybe I asked him, I was like, care about you? And he's like, I'll hug you. And so, um, but yeah, like that component. Oh, that's great. And I think that's even one of the things as open air preachers, if we're doing, and even in our evangelism, I think sometimes, especially open air preaching, there has a tendency to be an element that like the, the harder we are, the more holy we are. And if we're really hard with these people and we just really bring the hammer, then we're really preaching the gospel to them. Whereas I think if, uh, you know, if we can bring them out to bring their own confession, you know what I mean? Like, and then when, when, the minute he said, not everybody, it's a different conversation than if I'm just saying, see, you reject people. You know what I mean? If I'm just telling him that, and there's a certain place right. of that in a day that I need to do that. But if I'm just telling him that from the word go, we never have a fruitful conversation downstream. So yeah, you're, you're just, you know, doing what you can to use the word to guide people to think about things. Mm-hmm. Like so often people have these conclusions, whether it's about Christians or their own life, that basically they just have these these ways that they are that they've never really thought about a whole lot. They've never considered the alternative. They never looked at what the other side says. They just kind of do what they do just because that's what you're supposed to do. And, and so for a guy like that to go from seeing you and thinking you're the enemy to thinking about it and then understanding, OK, he's not the enemy and then actually giving you a hug. That's a big that's a big thing. Like yeah. that, That's a better lesson than whatever was going on in his biology class <laughs> that day. So that's that's awesome. Uh, yeah. And, and you're looking for that. Yeah. That component almost every day. Um, so that obviously sexuality is one of the main issues. Then one of the other main things, because we are like a thoroughgoing postmodern society. And being a postmodern society, we, we basically think that our knowledge is predominantly socially constructed. What I mean by that is if, you know, if you're standing there 500 years ago and you're talking about free speech, um, the, or if I'm standing in the middle of Saudi Arabia, I'm talking about free speech. You're like, what is this guy talking about? You know what I mean? So, so their knowledge of, of how we should use language is going to be different than us as Americans. Um, and so the, by and large, the average person that we interact with today they're they're largely convinced that they believe what they believe because it's they're somehow embedded in a social cultural context. So I'm a Christian because oh well you just grew up with that, and the Muslims are Muslims, so they just grew up with that. And yeah, I've heard that. You know, if, if people say things like you know what you're a Christian, but if you were born in a Muslim country, you'd be a Muslim right mm-hmm. now. So, yeah. so there's definitely yeah, I've, I've definitely heard that. And so we can be willing to say maybe, but that doesn't mean it's true. So so the question becomes yes, we can agree that there are things that situate us into who we are, and we believe certain things. Like I just grew 
grew up outside of Cleveland, so I love the Browns. Like, it's totally contingent. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's that that's totally contingent on me largely growing up there. You know what I mean? If I was born 200 years ago, I wouldn't care about the Browns. And if I was, grew up in New York, uh, I'd probably care about New York teams. And which, which is definitely true in a sense. Yeah. For, for a lot of things. So, so there are things that we are willing to grant that, but is religion in that ca- category? So none of us think two plus two is in that category. You know what I mean? Foods right. and uh, certain desires are in that category. There are other things not. So that's the sort of stuff that when I show up on campus, the operating assumption of the student is mathematics is not in that realm. Religion is in that realm. So much of my apologetic is seeking to explain why Christianity and the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus is actually in the realm of, and that's even where I think we need to pound home, like our apologetic, like I'm, I'm sympathetic to presuppositionalism, if you're familiar with that. Yeah. But I, I most, my main apologetic on campus is actually the historical resurrection of Jesus. Because again, you're just dealing with an historical element. Did he rise from the dead or did he not? And everybody out there is actually a realist. Like they, they believe in history. You know what I mean? Even if they want to act like it's all subjective. Right. Uh, and so when you're pounding home the resurrection that, and asking them to explain why did the church come upon the scene, it's you're just centered on history. You're centered on reality. And they, whereas like presuppositionalism can sound relativistic to somebody outside of what you're operating with. So anyway, knowledge, sexuality, and knowledge really are the two main, how do you know Jesus is the only way? How do you know the Bible's true? How do you know you're, you're really saved? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? So those two elements, and once you get immersed in sexuality and how do you know, uh, you, you're kind of well-versed for campus. There's, there's your day, right? There. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, because I mean, these, these same students are sitting in classes that are teaching them, you can't know anything for sure. Mm-hmm. There, there is no thing called absolute truth. And here, here you are, you march on campus with an absolute truth. Yeah. You know? and, and also understand, like in their head, the absolute truth is Adolf Hitler. So he was a guy who's a dogmatic. And what I want to say is, no, he's actually the relativist. You know what I mean? He's absolutized. And, and that's even one of the things we have. So, you know, Hitler absolutized himself in his culture. And so even like racially in America, some of the racial division is, oh, I want to, here's what it means to be black. Here's what it means to be white. Here's what it means to be a real woman. You end up absolutizing something in, that's created that is not absolute rather than the absolute God. And so what I'm seeking to do out there is, look, we all have, we all absolutize something. Um, it's inescapable part of what it means to be a human being is that we absolutize something. What you guys really want to do is absolutize your current cultural context. What I'm seeking to do is absolutize a transcendent God who loves, is just, is pure, is holy, is kind. You and I are not those things. You know what I mean? So why would I absolutize whiteness or blackness or femaleness or maleness when what we want to do is absolutize Yahweh? And when we're doing that, then we're in the right place. But Hitler was not an absolutist. He was actually a relativist who absolutized himself. And that's that's part of what our apologetic needs to be, is understanding they when they're thinking through the implications that if I say homosexuality is on, what I want to do is beat them up. You know what I mean? Like, right, real or perceived, that's what they think. You know what I mean? And we're like, nope, that's not what we want to do, uh, blah, blah, blah. So that's the sort of stuff we're trying to tease out and understanding who we're talking to. So Okay. And then one thing that definitely comes up a lot from skeptics, you know, skeptics tend to have these these go-to arguments is like, okay, here's how I get a Christian off my back. <laughs> and one of the big ones I've seen is the issue of slavery. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're a Christian? Why don't you have slaves? Your Bible says it's okay to have slaves. Mm-hmm. So um, and does that, is that something that comes up? Yeah. Oh yeah. All, all the time. I actually, I got arrested once and the police report said that Mr. Darrell was saying uh, black students should be enslaved. <laughs> <laughs> so, did, did anyone have this on video? Yeah, no, sadly, no. It was, what was funny it was in Youngstown, Ohio, and I was visiting my folks in uh, Akron, Ohio, and I've, I'm uh, it was a Friday. It was funny. I got rained out on Thursday. Friday morning, I wake up to go to Youngstown. My mom's like, 
don't go to Youngstown. Nothing good happens in Youngstown. I'm like, mom, I'm 36 <laughs> years old. I ain't go to Youngstown. And so sure enough, I go to Youngstown and get arrested. And the police report is. Should have uh, listened to your mom. Yeah, should listen to my mother. Is, so slavery comes up all the time. What I seek to do. So, so we do have, I, and I do think there's difficult texts I need to spend more time with. I think it's Leviticus 26. It talks about the buying and selling of foreign slaves. And you're basically able to pass them on to your posterity. And I think that's a difficult text in our American context. Well, I mean, well, I mean part of the problem on a college campus is you don't have a whole lot of time. Like these aren't people you're taking through a five-part study yeah, on, yeah. on the Old Testament. It's like the, this this student who asked who threw out the question. They're going to give you like thirty seconds. Yeah, you got to tweet. Out of you got to tweet to answer it. You yeah. know what I mean? And and, it, and a lot of these things aren't. So what I seek to do is pretty quickly off the bat is I'll make the big claim of like, look, here in the state of California, you guys own slaves. And like, no, we don't. I was like, oh, property of the state. When you get arrested, you go to Pelicans Bay. What are you? You're a property of the state. So so we have to end up defining the term slavery. And so what I want to do is tease out the idea that I think it's Exodus 21, like 14 says, if anyone steals a man and anyone found a possession of him, if anyone steals a man and sells him and anyone found a possession of him, shall be put to death. And I was like, so when the Bible says thou shalt not steal, it's not like God's concerned about your bike and your backpack, but not you, as if I can just grab you, run you off campus, be like, ah, you're mine. And so, so if our concept of uh, slavery is man stealing, the Bible says the death penalty is for that. Hmm. Um, and then what you'd want to do is put some levels on, at least in the context of Israel, when you are a slave in Israel, you're either in debt to somebody or you've committed a crime against somebody. And what I want to argue is that's a far more, and it's kind of funny because a lot of the kids who bring that up are liberal students. And you can make the broad claim of, look, if you guys want to do good work, work for prison reform. And, uh, and then from there, you get to lay out that what a slave in Hebrew was, was someone who's paying off their debts or someone who, um, yeah, they're basically paying off their debt. Either, um, so if I stole $1,000 from you and say, I owe you $4,000, I can't pay you. Um, I would be your slave. You get to come and make my bed for six months. Yeah, for six months. Okay. Or, or in turn, I'd sell you to somebody like the trash company who like they, they give me $3,000 and then you have to show up to work for them because I don't have enough work for you. So there would be that market still. Um, but what's better, American prison system where I'm still being taxed and we have to, you know, take care of their health care and everything else or where that guy's working and being productive. Because I think, uh, Interesting. You know, prison, prison is a final thing. So what I'm seeking to do is lay that out why biblical law is actually more just than our current system. Um, but within that, I'm also going to have to hedge on my answer because I think Leviticus, I think it's 20, I can't remember if it's 25 or 26, is actually a pretty difficult passage of teasing those things out. And, and I don't think the presuppositional argument just says, oh, well, we have a standard and who are you to say that slavery is wrong? Like there, there's some sort of something in our conscience tells us slavery is wrong. And if we can't do the dance of, yep, we have a standard where it is, but yes, we're allowed to enslave foreign nations because Israel was. And, and here's a place where it's going to get theologically crazy, I think. There is an element where the nations outside of Israel uh, were under the dominion of other gods and other slaves and their life. And this isn't going to sell anybody on campus, but life in Israel is better for the foreigner than it was under foreign gods. Right. And you can't, yeah, I mean, you, no, one, no one in America today is going to believe that. But, but I think that's part of what's going on. Well, is, one, of the thing, one of the things that I've always seen it as, so when seen in a light of the context of what was actually going on, at the time, you know, in a, in a lot of cases, I think that the word slavery in the Old Testament could have been used in the same way we, we might see a live-in maid, someone mm-hmm. who they're, they're, they're not in, in, in all these slavery movies where they're like dying in the back of ships like stuff. Their, their, li- their life is, it's, it's not bad. Yeah. And I think the difficult, yeah. And the difficulty is we don't have tons of historical context. So even let's just say 2000 years from now, people are finding baseball contracts and it has the owners and they're, they're put, you know what I mean? And, and they have all these, all these details and we don't have tons of context of exactly what's going on. Yeah. It sounds like this horrific thing. And, and so, you know, 
that's not to soft pedal an answer of a difficult text, but it's to step back and say, because I've tried to look into the issue more like how exactly was this applied? And you can look at a lot of resources. They don't know exactly how these things were applied. So, right. so, so when you get into Exodus chapter 21 and the first, you know, 10, 12 verses there deal with, uh, you know, how you interact with your slave and stuff like that. Um, we, we don't know exactly the application of that sort of thing. So even, even when we get worked up over, say, like the stoning of an adulterous person, like, or, or even the disobedient child, we don't have tons of records of like, oh, you're, you know what I mean? Every other kid in Israel was being stoned to death. Right. You know what I mean? So, and definitely it's not the kind of thing you're going to be able to explain to someone's satisfaction in 10 minutes. Yeah. And, and, and within, yeah. And, and within that, it's usually, you know, it's obviously usually not the hang up. Um, and, and one of the things that set me free, actually, I, there's a, there's kind of a crazy theologian named RJ Rush Dooney. who's a real piece of work. Uh, you, you can maybe edit his name out, but, um, one of the, one of the things that, uh, I remember listening to him cause he, and he was kind of a hardcore, like God's law, like he, un, unflinching. But I remember hearing him one time say, there are things in the old Testament that trip me up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I wrestle with wiping out the Canaanites and blah, blah, blah. And that kind of freed me up to like, yeah, I do wrestle with some of the things in the Bible and I'm not denying Yahweh's holiness or his goodness or his purity or anything like that to be like, yeah, this thing. Cause even when you look at Moses, when Yahweh's going to judge the Israelites and Moses is like, don't you know your covenant? You know what I mean? And he plays with them and he argues with them. Uh, he right. doesn't just, he doesn't just step back and passively just say, Oh, well, that's what you want to do. Or even, uh, is it with Sodom and Gomorrah with 90 righteous people, you destroy it, not for 90 and gets them all the way down to 10. So, so you see a little bit of that dance in scripture where sometimes these men are more bold before God of saying like, you're really going to do this. And we're kind of have a tendency, especially if you're kind of reformed issue to be like, Oh, we would never, ever question God. You know what I mean? We, we just let God right. do what he wants and we're not Muslims. You know what I mean? So, so Allah is, we're, you know, we're not worshiping Allah. Who's just this capricious being who does whatever he wants on arbitrary whim, but Yahweh's true to his character and he's faithful and long suffering and all that. Sort of so, th- so there's definitely an aspect to all this where it's okay for us as Christians to just realize, you know what? God is incomprehensible. There's going to be things about him that we're just not going to understand. Yeah. Like we're, it, 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 you know, you think about we're, we're, we're the children of God and, and the, the level of understanding between, you know, let's say a, a little two year old kid and a, an adult that there's there's a very big jump in what the two year old is going to be able to understand compared to mm-hmm. the the adult. You know how much more we as the children of God, how much more as as human beings, are we not going to understand things about an infinite God? You know, absolutely. And, and so what I hear you saying is, you know what, all these arguments come up on ca- campus sometimes. I just got to realize. I ain't going to be able to answer yeah, that. I, I don't have an answer. And even the other day when I was at Florida, a guy asked me, he was a, a Christian, claimed to be, said he was a Christian. He asked me, what's the toughest question I get? It's like, it's the problem of evil. I was like, but Christianity, like kind of the precept art aspect is Christianity gives me a context for evil. Whereas I don't think evolution really gives me a context for evil or atheism doesn't give me a context for evil. Um, but the, something's deeply broken in reality and we have rebelled against Yahweh and we have rebelled against our king and something is broken. So, so admits having a problem with the problem of evil. Cause like if something, you know, if, if there's a little boy who's been abused and he's out there, where was God when I was five years old and ABC was happening to me? Well, I don't have a good answer for you. You know what I mean? I just flat right. don't. And if I think I do, I've, I've kind of missed it. I think, cause, cause I, there is an element, I think like the Bible presents, uh, evil as irrational. And so I, I don't want to button it up and be like, uh, you know, it, yeah, it's an easy breezy sort of thing because even God was grieved that he'd made man on the face of the earth. And if we can't have some component of that to us, I think we're kind of missing some strands of who God is. So, um, yeah, that, so I, I think, you know, that's kind of the difficult aspect is there are things I don't get, things I don't understand. Um, and that's fine. Uh, Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine says the things that are revealed are for you and your children. And then in the book of Revelation, the martyrs are being martyred. And they even ask God in the New Testament, how long are Lord faithful and true until you avenge our blood? And so they're yeah. asking that question. And so anyway, yeah, I, I think we're free to 
ask that question to God and we don't know everything. I don't know everything. And so, well, you do know a lot. So, <laughs> you know, one of the things I've been blessed with is listening to your podcast where a lot of times you'll record your conversations with students. And, uh, you know, I, I always learn a lot from listening to those. And so what I'd like to do now is, is just have you, uh, let us know if, if someone wants to hear your podcast or, or just, you know, see your, updates about what sports team you hate at the moment <laughs> where can they find you online yes uh so on the twitter i'm a campus evangel uh so evangelistic i, I want a campus preacher if you know the guy who has campus preacher let me get it from him because uh, he, he's got one follower and maybe no tweets and, and so, if anyone can get that for him i'll give you a free uh, sticker <laughs> yeah we'll get you a free sticker of roman free gospel track <laughs> gospel track um so campus evangel on twitter uh campus preacher on instagram then keith daryl uh if you go to and you'll, you'll see eddie as a friend, if you uh, are friends with him on Facebook, but if you go to Keith Darrell, um, you can find me there. My website is campuspreacher.com. If, so if you enter campuspreacher.com, you'll find me uh, there. But yeah, I would, and uh, off my website, if you would like to get my updates, I, ideally I'd send them once a month, but it's usually once every three months. I'm not very consistent in getting updates out. And if you ever want to join me, I'm going to be zipping all over the United States. Feel free to e- email me, Keith at Campus Preacher, and I'll try to do a little background check on you before I invite you out, because every now and then some psycho wants to join me on You campus. know what, though? You have you have atheists with you all day. Why not have some crazy Christian with you, too? Yeah, exactly. What's the difference? Exactly. So, uh, yeah, so feel free to contact me. Um, the, and if you punch into your uh, podcast search engine, KDCP, Keith Darrell Campus Preacher, that is where you're going to find my podcast. It's under a thing called the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Um, and so we're, we're doing, we're trying to get a lot going on and stuff like that. So yeah, KDCP, if you want to find my podcast, man, that was like the most organized use of how to find me I've ever heard. So (laughs) that's, that's, that's great. So Keith, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you for having uh, me. Hopefully some of you will be able to get out there and uh, watch, watch them on campus. I guarantee you it'll be the greatest show (laughs) on earth. All right. Thanks so much.